May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning, and may the words from my mouth be what we all need to hear today. I saw recently online a collection of thoughts of children about romantic love, and I want to share with you uh, a few tidbits that they, uh, they, they, that I read. It was called, Kids Say the Darndest Things About Love. When they were asked uh, a question, what do most people do on a date? Nine or 10-year-old Michael said on the first date, they just tell each other lies. And that usually gets them interested enough to go for the second date. When 10-year-old Jim was asked, when is it okay to kiss someone? He said, you should never kiss a girl unless you have enough bucks to buy her a big ring. And Kelly, age nine, said, never kiss in front of other people. It's a big embarrassing thing if anybody sees you. But if nobody sees you, I might be willing to try it if it was a handsome boy, but just for a few hours. <laughs> and then the question, the great debate, is it better to be single or to be married. Lynette, who was nine years old, said, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys are messy, and they need somebody to clean up after them. And then the last question, why do couples hold hands? And Dave, who was eight years old, said they want to make sure that their rings don't fall off because they paid good money for them. It's impossible to talk too much about love, especially love when it pertains to the teachings of our Lord. Today, let's look for a few minutes at one of Jesus' most important teachings about love. Last week, we talked about a mother's love, and we compared it to God's love in some ways. Today, we're going to talk about love for one another, a family's love. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'd like to discuss three things that we learn from this commandment that Jesus gives us to love one another. First of all, love for one another sometimes requires work. A myth in our culture is that love comes naturally. It's easy. That is not true. We have to continually work at all relationships, no matter which relationships they are in our life. I found it interesting in my research this week when I found that Harry S. Truman wrote at least, these are how many were found, they found 1,300 letters that Harry S. Truman had written to his wife, Bess, over a period of 50 years. He had a lifelong rule that whenever they were apart, he would write her a letter every single day, including the years of his presidency. He followed this rule whenever he was away on business, whether he was in another country or wherever he was, or when Bess left 
to go back to Independence or wherever she might travel to. And every day that they were apart, think of it, the President of the United States took time out from his dealings as the leader of the free world to sit down and to write a letter to his wife. That's a little bit of extra time. That's a little bit of extra work. Love requires work. Love has to be nurtured. Little babies, the most lovable creations in this world, have to be taught what love is all about. They have to be taught to share. They have to learn that they have certain responsibilities to others. Love is something that we have to work at, too, as adults. In today's family, the way uh, things are in today's world and in our society, love requires special attention. There's a silly story about a carnival director who was interviewing a young man who was a magician, and he wanted a job with the carnival. And the director said, well, what's your best trick? And he said, sawing a woman in half. And he was impressed. He said, isn't that a pretty difficult trick, sawing a woman in half? And he said, not really. I've been able to do it since I was a young kid. I always used to practice on my sisters. And he says, oh, you come from a big family? You have lots of sisters? And he said, well, I have eight half-sisters. Oh. With more and more second marriages and, and ha more and more half-brothers and half-sisters and uh, uh, stepsisters and stepbrothers and so forth, many families today have to work especially hard at love and at the relationships. Love requires work. That's the first lesson we learn from Jesus' command to love one another. The second is that love is a distinguishing trait of a Christian. He says, that is Jesus says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's talking about family love. That's talking about disciples loving one another. Sometimes we get this kind of mixed up and we think other things. We think that other things are uh, best characterized Christians, like living right, or attending church, or maybe giving to the church, or giving to charities. But Jesus says that this is how they will know you, by your love for one another. That's it, love. It's important to live right. It's important to attend church. It's important to give your fair share to those in need and to your church. But the distinguishing trait of a Christian is love. There's a special hospital in London. It's a hospice. And a hospice, as most of you know, is a place where folks go when they're terminal and for the end of their life. Well, most people would think that this hospice would be a pretty sad, pretty depressing place to go, but it is not. It's actually a place that's filled with hope and filled with life because, you see, the emphasis at this hospice is not on death. The emphasis is placed on life. In fact, 
there's been a few patients down through the years who have actually improved, have gotten better while they were there. And a lot of credit is given to the way that this facility is run. The basic philosophy is different than most hospices. Here the patients are expected to, as long as they're able to, to give themselves away in service to the other patients. So each patient is given another patient to care for. So for example, a person who can't walk might be given the job of reading to someone who has lost their sight. The person who has lost their sight might push the wheelchair of one who couldn't walk, but who gives them directions which way to go. And so they push them along. I think that sounds a lot like the commandment that Jesus gave us, gave us, don't you? He calls us to be disciples who love and care for one another. We are the ones who are healed and are strengthened when we learn how to give and how to love other people. The distinguishing trait of a Christian, love. And then the final lesson for today, love is God's most powerful weapon in the battle with the forces of darkness, death, and sadness and despair. Jesus said, as I have loved you, like I shared with the children this morning, so you must love one another. Love is exactly what Jesus was all about. Love was how Jesus could save the world. Love is the path that Jesus took in his time and his life on this earth. And love is really the key to unlocking the door of even the coldest heart. There was a man whose name was Bill Farrell. His aunt approached him in 1977. Now remember that. It was in 1977. About housing a family of Vietnamese refugees. She thought it could be the perfect arrangement for Bill because Bill was a bachelor who lived alone in a big, huge farmhouse. He had plenty of room. He was also a veteran of the Vietnam War, so he knew much about Vietnam and its people. And Bill's Aunt Rose thought he might enjoy having some help and some company around the farm. You see, Bill was disabled. He had both legs amputated because he stepped on a landmine in Vietnam. Aunt Rose couldn't have known what emotions that her nephew had when she suggested this to him. The trauma of the war, along with his horrible injury, had left him bitter and angry. And over the years, he had developed a deep hatred for Vietnam and for Vietnamese people. So Bill's first thought was, no, I'm not going to do it. But then a thought came to him, an evil thought. He could make the Vietnamese family suffer just as he had suffered. So he agreed and he said, yeah, I'll take them. And a week later, the San Phi family, a father, a mother, and four children moved into his home. His plan went into action the first morning. 
He started ordering the family around, making them do all the worst farm work that he had. He never spoke a kind word to them. He insulted them and he demanded things from them. He was forcing the Sanfi family into being his personal servants. But no matter how demanding or how abusive Bill was with this family, they treated him with kindness and respect. They did every rotten job with a smile on their face and respectfully. Often they would do even more work than he had given them to do. And in a matter of months, the Sanfi family had transformed his farm into the cleanest, best organized farm in the area. And then the family got an opportunity to join other relatives who had settled in California. And so they left and moved on. When they did, Bill set his sights on the next Vietnamese family to come and stay. And he thought, surely my constant unreasonable demands and my humiliating treatment will make these people suffer too. But this family too worked diligently, cheerfully, did more than they were asked to do. They continued to answer Bill's hatred with kindness and with willingness to do whatever he said. And soon they had to move on. And then he took in another family. It was the Chow family. And one evening, as Mr. Chow and he were sitting out on the front porch, he mentioned to Bill that the other refugee families had told them all about him. And he was sure that they had said terrible things about him. But Mr. Chow insisted that they all liked him. They had been concerned, though, with Bill's anger. And as Mr. Chow said, they don't know why you don't enjoy life. Bill didn't know what to say. But the final incident that changed Bill's attitude happened in March of 1979. He always ignored his birthday, but that year he couldn't because he received a stack of cards and gifts that he couldn't ignore. Those gifts had arrived from the Vietnamese families that had passed through his home. And as Bill read the homemade cards, which were filled with words of love, words of gratitude for all that he had done for them, for giving them an opportunity in this new country, he began to cry. And the anger and the hatred that he had carried for so long slowly melted away. And for many years after that day in 1979, Bill's farmhouse was a temporary home for over 50 Vietnamese men, women, and children. They told Bill about the extreme poverty and the lack of medical care that were available in Vietnam at that time. He made it his personal mission to visit medical supply companies and to collect donations of medicines and supplies which he would then ship to Vietnam. He even flew back to Vietnam a few times to distribute the supplies and meet some of the people personally. Bill Farrow's hatred for the Vietnamese had been replaced by a love, a commitment, and a concern. The love of a few refugee families changed him, changed him from a bitter man with no hope to a loving man with a new, energizing purpose in life. Love can do that. 
Love can unlock the coldest heart. I have to admit that I've known some Christians who are more like Bill in his bitter state than in his loving state. And the sad thing is that some of them see no problem with it. How could they or how do we sometimes miss the message of the gospel by so much? Jesus gives us simple commandments, tells us what the most important are, and they always involve love for other people. He commands us to love one another. Love requires work. Love is the distinguishing trait of a Christian. Love is God's most powerful weapon in the battle that goes on against darkness, against death, against despair. I saw a meme online somewhere this week that went like this. Commit an unnatural act Go out and love somebody. It's my prayer that we'll take Jesus' words to heart. He said, look at what I did. Look at how I lived. Look how I treated people who were the lower people in society. Look who I spent my time with. Look who I cared for. Follow my example. Love them because I loved them and because I loved you first. Amen.